Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the word-giving, insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now, on to today's message. Message. Then we start a Christmas series called Come to Worship. Really excited about that one for the month of uh, December. We'll be dealing with it. We'll be some, singing some of the best Christmas songs too. I'm a Christmas freak. I love it. So I cannot wait. And Santa's little helper, our own wor- uh, worship leader Lauren Rogers and her team will have this place decked out for this first week of December. So don't miss it. Uh, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word if you have it to the Song of Solomon chapter 5. Um, that's probably a little hard to find. Use the table of content. It's okay. Not many people do devotions there. Um, Verse 2. Song of Solomon 5, verse 2. And what we're going to do today, we're going to look at these two lovebirds actually get into a fight. Yeah, fight, fight, Jerry Springer stuff, right? We get to see them actually uh, go at each other. I want to talk to you today about reconcilable differences, how to resolve conflict, not just in marriage, but in friendships. This could deal with dating, whatever season of life you're in, this message today will help you. Um, As I prepared this, I thought, though, why teach on conflict? Because nobody in this church ever struggles with conflict in their marriage. I thought, you know, like, nobody ever goes through that here. I mean, maybe I could preach this at the church down the street, but not you guys, right? You never deal with that. I mean, my wife and I, we get into the occasional argument. Maybe a little more than occasional, you know. We, the more you're married, the more that seems to happen, or you're really good at hiding it. Well, my wife and I, what we fuss about a lot is directions. Anybody deal with that in here? Directions, men, women, directions. You're getting, don't raise your hand. You're getting in trouble. Your spouse is here. But directions is one of the things that we fight over because she tells me what to do. And I'm like, I got it. I know where I'm going. Well, then if I don't tell you, you always miss it. And I hate when she uses like Siri and it tells you step-by-step directions. And I feel like I can only know the next step. I like to look at the map and know where I'm going, right? And know the general direction. I have no idea what what path Siri has taken us. We were uh, in Raleigh a few weeks ago and we're going to brunch on that Sunday morning and while we were there she decided to use Siri step-by-step directions. So as we're driving through a major university there's a marathon going on. I says it's fine let's just pull the car over and we're going to just map it around. It's not hard it's just these streets. I you know, grew up in Raleigh. I know this place. Okay. So I turn around, I get going, and she reroutes to Siri again, step by step. And we end up back, it's like, babe, if you will just look at the map, you can actually, people didn't have Siri 50 years ago. They had to use the, and so um, at any rate, we were there, and then at that point I realized, wow, this escalated quickly, right? So even we fight with that. But here's the deal about uh, arguments. A lot of times you're sitting here, as a couple and you're thinking man we are the only couple in here that fights like cat and dogs we are just the anomaly everybody else has got their Jesus on they're raising hands they're all smiling the truth of the matter is we're all going to fight the difference is this unhealthy couples fight dirty healthy couples and healthy people fight fair unhealthy couples fight to win the argument healthy couples resolve conflict. 
that's what happens when you see that. And today we get to look at these two lovebirds who've been singing poetry, right? And it's been really kind of like, you know, the whole time. We actually get to look at their first love spat today in the Song of Solomon. And I want you to look at what happens here. We're going to really just dig into these uh, few verses. And here's what this Shumalite woman says in the Song of Solomon 5, verse 2. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. She was awake because he was not at home. She said, listen, my beloved is knocking. And, and, and here's what he says. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. If a man is quoting poetry late at night, either he's in big trouble or... He wants some lovey-dovey, I'm just saying, all right? He says, my head is drenched with dew, and my hair is in the, with the dampness of the night. Meaning he'd been out. It's pretty late in the morning. The dew had set in. And so he's buttering her up with some poetry. Some of you men have been taking notes from Solomon, hadn't you? You're using poetry. Well, remember in the previous weeks they couldn't keep their hands off each other? Last week was the creepy you know, peering through the lattice type stuff. It was a little weird. I mean, they couldn't get enough of each other. And watch this. He comes in quoting poetry. And what does she do to his advances? She says, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Here's what she says. Solomon, I've taken off my robe. I'm in bed. I'm reading a book. I've taken a shower. I am not in the mood. The Hebrew literally means, I have a headache. <laughs> not really, but I mean, you, you can take it that way. She shuts him down saying, no, you should have come in earlier. I'm tired. I'm clean. Everything's good. I don't want to do this. And so they find their first standoff. I want to talk to you quickly and give you two thoughts also about conflict resolution. What are the root causes of conflict? Why do couples fight? This couple fights. Every couple is going to fight. Every couple will go through it. Every friendship will go through it. Every relationship will go through it. What are two root causes? The first one is unmet expectations. Write that in your notes. Unmet expectations. If you are not married yet then write these down and stick them on your bathroom mirror. And the married couple said, amen. amen. Unmet expectations. She expected him to come home early, right? I don't know if he was watching the game. I don't know if he was at the bar. I don't know where Solomon was at. But he comes in late and she was upset. He expected anytime he comes in and quotes poetry that sparks are going to fly. There was unmet expectations in the relationship. And if you and I are honest and, and we look at relationships in general, that's the number one reason for breakdowns. I expected and this is what I got. Do you, know you know where disappointment happens? Expectations and reality don't meet. And it's called the valley of disappointment. And so many broken relationships, whether it's friendships, um, you know, marriages, jobs, church relationships, it's because we have expectations of this, but we work with flawed human beings. Your friends, your co-workers, your spouse, they're all flawed. Your pastor, the staff, everybody. And we have unmet expectations. We begin to have, actually have bitterness and resentment in our heart because that expectation wasn't met. I mean, for you, it could be family of origin, right? So, like, maybe in your home, dad took out the trash, dad fixed the car, dad was like Superman, he could fix anything in the house, I can fix nothing in the house. 
My wife catches me with power tools. She will, again, wrestle me to the ground and take them from me because I'm going to destroy something. Maybe your mom cleaned all the clothes and washed all the dishes and she was Susie Homemaker. You're like, I can't cook a thing. It will be takeout every night. Even things like this. Do you flatten the toothpaste out or do you roll it? <laughs> Who are the flatteners in here? I'm a flattener. Who are the rollers? <laughs> Toilet paper, does it go on the outside or the inside? Outside. Are there any insiders up in here? Yes. I see those hands. But when you get done using the countertop in the bathroom, do you leave it wet or do you dry it off? My wife, it's always. I'm like, so you have these things called family of origin, how you grew up, watching. So you go into marriage expecting certain things. Some of y'all are like, well, I don't need this. I'm not married. You need to talk to your kids about this, right? Because you go in expecting certain things. And so one thing my wife and I did was we wrote out expectations called the Ten Commandments of Marriage. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. You know, I've told you guys before, some of mine was thou shalt eat steak, because I'm a steak man, right? Thou shalt pull for NC State, because my whole family went there, and we have season tickets to the games. You're going to enjoy it. I'm going to teach you it. <laughs> but we have expectations, right, in relationships that aren't met. Solomon had that, the Shemalite woman had that, and when you don't have those expectations met, man, it puts you in the valley of disappointment. You're like, man, I expected marriage to be a lot different. Maybe you're 15 years into it, and you said, this is, this is not what I expected. Maybe you're two weeks into it, and this is not what I expected. But you have to talk about expectations. Talk about family of origin. How did your family handle conflict? If you get one who was a bull in the china shop and the other one was an ostrich, you're in trouble. Because bull in the china shop is like, let's deal with it right now. Let's do it. And the ostrich is like, nope, 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 nope. Mom and dad never fought, never saw them fault, fight, so we don't deal with this in our house. Stuff like that. Unmet expectations. The other root cause of conflict is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. I mean, Solomon comes swinging in like Tarzan, talking about, me Tarzan, you Jane. <laughs> I know I'm late, but he expected one thing, she expected another. He had one thing on his mind, and she had one thing on her mind. One thing that he wanted, and one thing that she wanted. And another root cause of the breakdown of all relationships is ultimately selfishness. Self-centeredness. Saying, I want this. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I expect. And other person's in the staff saying, well, this is what I want. And if you don't do this, I'm not doing that. And you start doing this bargaining and trade-off. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Like when I spoke last week about pursuing your spouse and doing these things, well, they don't do anything for me. Marriage, listen, marriage will test how selfish you really are. And I say this not pointing at you, but I got these, th these fingers pointing back at me. Do you know I'm, I'm incredibly selfish? And the more I've been in marriage, the more selfish I've seen that I am. I was the, the baby child, right? So, like, I have an older brother who's 10 years older. So, literally, by seven, when I was seven, he was out of the house, and I was, like, the only child. I was the baby of the whole Bordeaux grand, of, of the grandparents. So, all the cousins, I was the baby. 
And are there any baby children here that are men? <laughs> any men that are baby children? Yeah, right. 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 So, yeah, like, so for me, like, I joke with my brother. We were talking, and he said, "Man, I wish I was born a little closer in age to you. We could have I said, no, no, no. It's perfect. You're like the uncle brother. <laughs> like, you were gone when I was seven. It was awesome, right? Like, your room was then dibs and things like that. So, like, I had the best of both worlds. But what I realized, I was incredibly selfish and I am still incredibly selfish when it comes down to it I look out for me and what I want Philippians 2 is one of the best marriage passages which is never used in weddings ever Paul tells the church at Philippi don't look after your own interests but look after the interest of others but we are born so selfish this week my wife and I got into a little argument and it was really sad because it was over my selfishness of what I wanted. I wasn't saying, baby, what do you need? And what's best for you? I fell in that. So if you're sitting here as a man going, oh, geez, he's going to really, you know, kick my butt today. I, this is what I deal with. Incredibly selfish. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I, I It's all about me, 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 me. And in marriage, you can't be me, 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 me. You've got to be able to look at the other person and say, I want what's best for you. How can I make life better for you? Literally, can I be honest with you, without being sarcastic, this is what I tell my wife. Whatever is better for you, baby. What would you like for me to do? She says, I don't care which choice is better. Like the other day, I wanted to go to the gym. Right? And she said, we got it worked out. You can, you can drive me to the airport. Then you can hit the gym up. You got to get around 4.15, but we can make it happen. And my sister will get up with Dawson when he wakes up. And then you can get back and get up. That worked great. Well, I texted her sister. And I said, is that okay? Or would you rather drive to the airport? She says, well, I think for me, I'd rather drive to the airport. I was like, okay, whatever works best for you, just let me know. <laughs> right? But is that not hard? But, but that's sacrifice. And when you're in a relationship, it cannot exist with self-centeredness. You never do what I want. It's always about you, you, you. It's never about me. So think about it in your relationships. Where does selfishness come up? And the only thing I'm telling you you can do is ask the Holy Spirit to help you not be so stinking selfish. Lord, give me the ability to learn sacrifice like you sacrificed for us. Give me the ability to learn to climb up on the cross and stop complaining so much about when I do sacrifice something. Because some men, if you do it once, it's like for five years they've been hearing about it. Right, ladies? Remember that one time I did this for you? <laughs> In verse 3, we see that she says, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I sew them again? Literally, she says, go away and die. <laughs> now, in verse 4, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen between verses 3 and 4. Like, sometimes when you're reading the Gospels, like we learned this in seminaries, that there, there actually there is months that lapse between one to the other, right? So it's not like, we think it just happened all in a day. It's like, yeah, Jesus didn't do this in three years. He did it in three weeks, right? So like, but literally you, and here, we don't know how much time lapsed. We don't know what happened. But from verse 3, she's like, go away and die. And then verse 4, you're going to see a drastic change in her. She like, actually... Her heart beats fast and she wants him. And I'm thinking, how did this happen? She's mad. 
she's upset. And now she's like, come on in, Solomon. And I, one pastor explained it this way. He actually interviewed some staff, and here's what the women said. She changed her mind, duh. Oh, the woman changed her mind. I didn't see that coming. So women never just changed her mind for any reason, do they, men? We have marriage counseling resources at the table up there. If you shook your head, yes, you can use those. Maybe I mean, she changed her mind, but I think maybe she felt bad for him. Watch this in verse 4. She says, My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening of the door. My heart began to pound for him, and she saw it in her. And I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers flowing with myrrh on the handles of the bolt. And what happened is he put some cologne there. Myrrh was cologne. She's like, Hey, baby, don't forget what I smell like. <laughs> And she's like, this is great. And she goes, and then she goes and watch this. Look what happens. I opened the door for my beloved. But my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. So I think she really felt sorry. I thought she was like, oh, Solomon. He didn't, he wasn't mean, was he? Was he angry? Did he kick the door? Did he walk away cussing? Just loud enough so she could hear but not really tell? <laughs> Y'all ain't that holy, man. The lights were off and none of your halos kept this place lit up. None of y'all glow in the dark. You're so anointed. Don't even go there, right? She said, I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. She goes out looking for him. And I want to explain to you what happens in the next several verses. She goes out at night in the palace looking for Solomon. The palace guards mistake her for a criminal. And they end up beating her and hurting her because they didn't know who she was at night. And she gets hurt emotionally and she gets hurt physically because of a dumb, silly argument. Time out. How many times in our relationships has so much damage been done over something so silly? Right? Now I look at this stuff and I, I review my wife and I, what we fight about. I'm like... That's silly. And sometimes we damage our spouse over something silly and insignificant. We damage our friendships. We damage work relationships because of something so insignificant and something so silly. And that's what she goes on. See, I want you to realize something. Your spouse is not the enemy. You have an enemy named Satan. And you can't fight your spouse. You got to fight the real enemy. You don't fight them to win. You fight. See, Paul even says that in Ephesians 6. We don't believe it applies to marriage, though, do we? Or relationships. For we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. Like, Satan has demonic forces, and he would love to destroy the covenant called marriage. He's got a bullseye on you. And the way he can get us to do that is start fighting each other, something silly, and we say something very hurtful that damages the heart of our beloved. What I want to do today is help us practically with just a few thoughts of how do you resolve conflict? How do you work to not fight each other, but work to resolve situations? I want to give you three thoughts that will literally, if you apply these, will change any relationship that you have. Here's the first one. Write in your notes, the first thing we're going to do is I will respond and not react. I will respond and not react. 
Solomon put some cologne on the door. He didn't react. He didn't, you know, oh man, you kick the door and get mad and slam it. He just put some cologne. He, he didn't react. He responded. Look what Paul says in Romans 12, 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Think about this. What other relationship on earth gets better with constant criticism and nagging and negativity? Nothing. I mean, I've never heard anybody say, I love working at this company. My boss is just such a jerk. He's just so mean to me. She's so mean to me. They're always criticizing everything I do, and I just love it. This is great. Oh, this is my best friend, you know, Joe over here. Joe's awesome. Like, literally just all this person does is criticize me and tells me how bad I am and how I'm just not any good. Does anybody get better climbing out of that? Does a husband get better because he's being nagged to death? And men said, no, I, I'm going to get to them too. Constant criticism. Nobody gets better by that, but they do get better with encouragement. They do get better saying, I believe in you. You may have forgotten that thing for the 100th time, but I believe inside of you, you can do this. There's something in you that, right? And no woman ever climbs out a better wife and spouse with anger and jealousy and criticism and neglect. We, listen, we've got to learn to respond when things are bad, not react with that. Now, let me say, we are allowed, and this will be, we are allowed emotions, right? So it's not like you're getting arguing like, well, I'm choosing to respond and not react. So here's how we're going to deal with this today, honey. And that doesn't work like that. We're, you're going to have where you, you're going to experience emotion. Emotions are necessary. My wife and my wife's half Colombian, right? And Italian, okay? I'm a little Frenchman. So the, the sparks fly when we argue. But we allow each other emotion in the moment and we can come back to it a little later and deal with it. Don't ever try to fix something when it's at its, you know, when you're at your height of arguing. It's like trying to build a, flame, a plane while it's flying. It just doesn't work. Right? Let that thing land and then deal with it. But I'll respond and not react. Now some of y'all are like, yeah, I got this whoop for marriage. We're the best marriage. Use this in every aspect of your life. Use it at your job, man. Use it with your friend. Use it on social media. Somebody please say amen. Here's the second thought. Y'all still still love me? We're still friends? The second thought is this. I will focus on the good and not the bad. Not only will you respond and not react, but I will focus on the good and not the bad. Look what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Paul is in a Roman prison. And here's what he writes in a Roman prison. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Focus on the good things they do for you. Focus on the positives for them. You know, Ruth Graham, who is Billy Graham's wife, was asked one time by a reporter, doesn't it make you sick that your husband is gone seven months out of the year and only at home five months? Here's Ruth's response. She says, five months with Billy is better than 12 with any other man on the planet. Oh, 
that's good. She chose to focus on the good and not the bad. See, you literally are your thought life. And the one thing you do have control over is your thoughts. To focus on the good of things. And again, across the board. This again could be a friendship. It could be a job. It could be church. It could be your kids. It could be whatever it is for you. You've got to choose to focus on the good and not the bad. To see the things that Paul commands us to do this. To think on these things. And that's what the Shumalite woman did. Right? She starts thinking about, well, you know, Solomon is sweet and all. You know, he's a, he's, he's a good guy. Come on in. She starts thinking about those things. Listen, if the person was good enough for you to marry, they're good enough now. And, and I always tell people, think about what originally got you two together. Because when they get to counseling, like, you know, and, and they get there, sometimes people are at such standoffs. But you're thinking, do y'all, I mean, you don't even like each other at all. Why did you get married? Has anybody ever said, hey, I met this jerk. He's angry all the time. You know, he can't control his temper. He just overspends everything. He hollers at me. And I'm going to get married. That's awesome. I can't wait. Has anybody ever said that? Has any, has, has any man ever come and said, man, I found this great woman. Like, you know, dude, she is so critical and nasty about everything. <laughs> Wow, she just shuts down when we argue. Oh, oh, we never talk. We have no communication. We live in separate rooms. We play on our eye. It's going to be great. I can't wait. Does anybody ever say that? But, 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 we get to that place where we come to a counselor and say, this is where we're at. This is where we're at. And what, what I'll say is, what did you originally like about this person? Well, and they start going through it return back to your first love. You know, my wife and I are both D personalities, type A, and we're leaders. So we butt heads a lot. Right? Most, most couples are opposites, polar opposites. Like, you know, one's a quiet one, organized this, and the other one's, we're not. We're just like the same. So we, we do that. And, and there's times I have to remind myself, the reason you fell in love with this woman, not only because she was beautiful and she loved Jesus, but, and you had some things in common, but I love the fact she was a leader. She wasn't a passive woman. She didn't complain. She didn't, she doesn't go through a lot of mood swings ever. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Problem is, she's a leader, so she has opinions. She doesn't say, whatever you want. That never happens, like in our marriage, right? I don't care. No, she always cares and always has an opinion about everything. <laughs> everything. But I have to remind myself, that is why. That is why I wanted to marry her. That's why. That's what I saw that was beautiful. What happens is, in your marriage, 80% is going good, 70% is going good, and you have 23% that's going bad. You're still passing, right? And you find somebody else at work or old flame on Facebook or social media and they start meeting the 20% you're not getting. And you give up the 70 or 80 for the 20. That's a bad trade-off. You've got to learn to focus on the good and not the bad. Focus on the good. Whatever it is in your life, focus on the good. And here's the final point, guys. Final thought. You're going to respond and not react. You'll focus on the good and not the bad, right? And here's the final one. I will talk and not walk. I will talk and not walk. Look what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says, in your anger, do not sin. You're going to get angry when you, when you argue, right? Cortisol will pump. That's what creates emotion. Emotions aren't these flighty things. You're, you're thinking about, oh, why did they do that again? Mm. 
and you get angry, in your anger, don't blow it. Right? In your anger, don't blow it. Then he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, if you take that literally, you will never sleep. <laughs> right? You need to have a time to resolve conflict. Don't leave anger and conflict unresolved because it will fester. Anger turns into bitterness and bitter, bitterness turns into resentment. Resentment breaks relationships and Satan wins and we lose. So he says, don't let that sun go down upon your wrath. It's very poetic here. And then he says, do not give the devil a foothold. That, that, literally, that word there is literally a geographic place to take residence. In your relationships, don't give Satan a place to take residence in your relationships. Refuse to give him place wherever that's at in your heart and in your mind. Refuse to let him uh, wedge between you two. You've got to talk about it and not walk. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger, upon your wrath. Because you guys know the position, right? When you're arguing, you know the position. Back to back. Back to back. And you've got the huffer pulling covers. And, and then you have the silent one. My wife is the silent one. She will give me the silent treatment. And literally, sometimes I wonder if she's even alive. Is she still breathing? Because she doesn't do anything, right? See, God wants this belly button. The belly button, son, might say amen. He doesn't want you back to back in a, in a marriage relationship. We have to make a commitment that we're going to talk and not walk. Do you know what we do? We punish people by withholding love from them. This might make you angry. You don't speak to them. You don't show them love. You punish them by withholding love from them. You give them the cold shoulder. And that's what we do. Again, not even in marriage, but it could be anything. Think about it network of relationships, a lot of times we choose to walk and not talk. Let me encourage you. Talk together. Talk about things. Open up. Share what really hurts you in that relationship. This is the last message of this series. And I will tell you, the couples that will do well and find abundant life in relationships will talk about what hurts them. We have a Again, this applies to our staff are the most amazing people on planet Earth. I've worked on many church staffs before. But you know the one thing about us? We have hot environments. Honest, open, and transparent. We're not easily offended. And literally, we're able to critique each other in love and be open. If we offend one another, we come. And we say, hey man, I don't know what you meant by that, but that kind of hurt. The only thing that grows, you know, and, and you gotta have light, you gotta have open places because mold grows in the darkness. If you keep things in the darkness and you won't talk about it, it will fester. Make a commitment that you're gonna respond and not react. Lord, help me, it's hard. I'm gonna focus on the good and not the bad. And we're gonna walk, a talk, we're not gonna walk from this thing. We're in a covenant, not a contract. So let me close with this in, Sol in, in the Song of Solomon 6, verse 11. He said, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley. The new growth where? In the valley. To see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Let me tell you, 
Some of you are in the valley right now in your relationships. It's a valley. Solomon said he was looking for growth in the valley. You don't grow when you're on vacation. You don't grow when you're at a marriage conference. You grow when you're in the valley and you make decisions in the valley. You know, Jesus took three disciples up to a mountain, let the rest of them sit down there. You're feel left out. They did too. Congratulations. Nine of them sat there looking, what's going on up there? I ain't never invited. So he carries three of them up there. And they're like, man, Moses showed up and Elijah showed up. It's like this big, crazy, awesome thing. And Jesus started glowing. They're like, Jesus, let's just build a church here. Let's just stay here forever. He said, no, 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 no. We're going back down to the valley. Because that's where life is. And I don't know what valley you're in today. Maybe church on Sundays is a mountaintop experience. But you can find growth in the valley. And I'm believing listen to me. When I come in here and, and I run through this on Thursdays and Fridays, I pray for every one of you. I look at those empty seats believing that nothing is impossible for any relationship in this place. I don't care. I don't care if the papers are going to be signed tomorrow. God can restore it. I don't care how hurt you've been, how rejected you felt, how much unforgiveness is in there. Listen, there can be new growth in the valley. You can grow where you're at and God has new growth for you he wants that for you amen I want to pray for us today if you will let's just pray together and let's just ask the Lord to do what only he can do Father God we come to you today